Hello, folks, and welcome to Out on a Limb, a Lover's Lane podcast. My name is Stephen Lashley. I'm one of the hosts of this podcast, and I'm joined by... I am the co-host of this podcast, Reverend Macy Liptoy. And we we have a good one for you today, as Steve Harvey says. <laughs> um, we have uh, Tiffany Taylor Wines, who is the co-founder and vice president of Orphan Outreach, which is a nonprofit based in Plano, Texas. And she does uh, work all over the world, mm-hmm. uh, Russia, and she talked about Guatemala and, and different places. But um, they provide support for orphanages, mm-hmm. right, all over the world. And uh, and we also had... And we also welcomed Reverend Andy Nelms, who is an associate pastor here at Lover's Lane. He preaches at our Thrive service, which is our 930 service, and uh, our Walnut Hill Church campus. And his experience, you know, this, this episode is going to premiere during our Advent series, and it's about uh, finding God's presence in the waiting. And so we invited both Tiffany and Andy on because they have such experience in the adoption process. Andy and his family just adopted a young girl and to their family this year and tiffany adopted you know two uh young infants from russia about 20 years ago now and obviously works with orphans and works with you know adoption and foster processes around the world and so we talked to them kind of you know what was your steven coined a phrase uh, you know i was thinking about this i was thinking about um the work that tiffany does and I was thinking about, I was trying to, I've never adopted, obviously, but Mm -hmm. I was trying to imagine what it would be like to be just waiting. I Mm -hmm, mean, just mm -hmm. like you're waiting on paperwork, you're waiting on uh, processes to kind of finalize themselves and and to... um, yeah, to just play themselves out, and there's and there's things you can do, but there's also just, I mean, you're just stuck. Mm in uh what i said was just high stakes waiting i mean high stakes meaning like there's really there's lives on there's lives on the line there's like people's you know uh their paths and lives are uh are on the line and um and and i think really what we talk about in the episode uh goes beyond i mean it's if, if you're a person who um has maybe been involved with the adoption process or the the foster process um you'll you'll understand a lot of what they're saying but i think that there's something to be said for just high stakes waiting in general Mm -hmm. and so maybe it's like i think in the episode you talk about potentially just like people who are sitting in hospital rooms waiting on uh diagnoses um or even students waiting for that test Results to get posted, you know, yeah. waiting for those grades to come in and yeah. the, the risk of or yeah. the high stakes waiting period of that. Yeah, just, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe I think we can all, and then, and then just generally speaking, we're in a time in our country where it's, we're all waiting on a vaccine. We're mm-hmm. waiting on what, how things are going to be played out. Uh, we're waiting on a number of different things oh, yeah. and we've been waiting this entire year. I mean, since basically March for months now, we've just been in this, I think I say in the podcast, like this liminal period of waiting for something to change and they keep moving the finish line on us, you know? And so you never, I think one of the the big things that comes up for me from this episode is, you know, there are things we can do and there are things that we control, but there's a whole part of it, like you said, that you're just waiting for someone else to do their thing. And we, we attribute that in some ways, you know, to God is we're waiting for God to kind of step in and, and do stuff as well, because there's yeah. only so much we can do. And, and really what I, 
what I think we can all kind of take away from this episode um, is is looking for ways to find God's presence mm-hmm. in the waiting. Um, and what does that look like? And, and I think there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from their experiences, their insights. Yeah. Um, I really love listening to Tiffany's stories. She's got yeah. incredible stories from her experience of, you know, being in or be founding orphan outreach and her own adoption experiences. So I, I really enjoyed this. And I think, I think our listeners are going to really enjoy this uh, episode as well. So without further, further ado, uh, let's get to our conversation with Tiffany Taylor Wines and Reverend Andy Nelms. How are you guys? That's <laughs> really, good. it's a beautiful day. <laughs> it's good to have you both here. I'm sitting here with Tiffany Taylor Wines and Reverend Andy Nelms. Hey. And of course, Macy. How are hey. you, Macy? You good? Yeah, I'm good. I had coffee in between our recordings, so it's oh, a good day. Oh, I missed on that. Made a so good you're choice. always good. You've, you're properly energized. I am. I okay. really am. I made a good choice. Well, yeah. I mean, I've I'm just draining coffee today. Okay. Just pounding coffee. I may have accidentally bought a cup at Starbucks. Is what happened. Yeah. I like went in there and they had their Christmas cups out, and then I got real excited. Like the mug. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wait, you got free coffee from Starbucks? I don't want to get free coffee from Starbucks. Are you kidding me? It's a corporation. Okay. I just bought a coffee mug. I do like whenever you go in for your mobile order and there's someone, they're just like, yeah, someone just left this. Do you want it? And you just get free coffee. That happen, does that happen to you frequently? Yeah. What? Really? It happens at least like twice a month. Are like, you serious? I would say that's pretty frequent. Too. That's never happened to me in my life. Ever. Really? Really. That's sad. Do I look like... Maybe no. it's just... Do Maybe I look just, just mean? And you look. I think you it looks nice? like he needs coffee. Yeah, mm. yeah. They look at him like this guy needs extra energy today. Yeah. Give him the leftover cold brew that no one wanted. <laughs> well, welcome to you both. Thanks. Um, after that short just sidetrack on yeah. uh, coffee, but um, <laughs> Tiffany, let's start with you. Tell us uh, who you are. Tell us what you do. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you were you were the vice president and co-founder of Orphan Outreach, right? So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, Orphan Outreach is a ministry that was started in 2007. And um, we help orphaned and vulnerable children around the world um, by bringing them basically physical, spiritual, emotional care. And so um, it looks a little bit different in every country and in every program we work in, but we work with thousands of children around the world. Okay. What countries are you Right now, we're in Guatemala, Honduras, India, Kenya, Russia, Latvia. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's really, that really is global. Wow. It is very global. Um, so cool. And, you know, it's been such a weird year because normally I'm traveling the whole time. Um, I get to take people on teams to go and see the ministry sites and wow. to learn about what God is doing through yeah. orphan care and what we're doing. And so it has definitely been a big reset year for me, yeah. not being able to travel. Yeah. How does that change? I mean, like, what do you tip, like you tip, you, if you have to travel a lot and take teams and things like that, what do you typically end up doing most of the time? And now that I'm not traveling, now that you're not traveling. Yeah. So, I think the thing that's been really interesting is seeing our staff. So we have staff in all of the countries that are nationals of those countries. And we have literally non-governmental organizations, NGOs in those countries. And this year has been the year where we've just seen them have to step up, right? Mm -hmm. They've had to take care of their own. Mm -hmm. And they have been inventive. They have been just so... um, intuitive on what the needs are in those countries and honestly they've really put themselves 
on the front lines because they're the ones out there feeding the people now. And so it used to be like, it might look like this where we're working in a community of impoverished families um, and the children are coming to an after school program and they're getting food and they're getting education and then spiritual support, obviously. Um, now those children aren't even going to school yeah. mm. and the families can't work. Mm -hmm. So we're feeding their entire families where oh, before wow. we were just feeding the children and then it's expanded to just crisis relief in all of the areas. So we see that God has just put us in place in these communities yeah. to be able to expand that yeah. relief. Right so now. it's, it's resourcing of families. Um, let's t say a little bit more about like the specific work that y'all do. Is it? So typically it looks like, um, so our name is Orphan Outreach. Right. So you might think orphans and orphanages. Yes. And we absolutely work with tons of orphans and orphanages around mm -hmm. the world. Um, whether it's a public orphanage in Russia or a um, private orphanage in Guatemala, mm -hmm. just orphans all together. But to us, we really look at orphan care as like a continuum of care okay. and how we can make sure that we're keeping orphans from going into orphanages. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people picture orphans as little orphan Annie. Right? Yeah. Like, that's yeah. the first thing you think. Like you've lost yeah, both your parents. And, you just, yeah. 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 and so for sure, like, people always give us things that are pink and girly for little girls when we do collections. Because <laughs> yeah. they're all thinking in their mind, little orphan Annie. It's really? Yeah. It's so funny. Like just, they st that stereotype's really that? Yes. If we're wow. collecting shoes, we'll get more pink shoes about that size of a little girl. We'll get more pink clothing. Because wow. that's in everybody's mind. That's what they think an orphanage is. And wow. what it's like for kids. And that the kids have no parents but the reality is around the world all of these children have parents mm. they've been separated them for the most part because of maybe disease maybe war but mm. usually financial reasons wow they really? literally cannot take care of those children and a lot of people don't understand like how large the orphan care problem is it, unicef estimated last year i think 150 million orphans in the wow. world but of those, about 10 million of them are um, in orphanages hmm. around the world. So if okay. you just kind of picture, it's a huge problem, right? Mm -hmm. So for us, we have to look at how we help those kids in the orphanages. Mm -hmm. But can we also do family preservation? What can we do to prevent the children from going into the system in the first place? So okay. what you're saying is that there are kids that are in orphanages that actually have parents, but the parents just don't have the means to take care of them. And so they end up in these places assuming they don't have parents and really they do have a family that just can't provide for them. Absolutely. Wow. And so there has been a huge movement in orphan outreach. We've been a big part of um, letting people know that it is not the best place for a child to grow wow. up. It's not singing wow. show tunes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, With you know, Daddy Warbucks. Right. It's yeah. a hard you know. life. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, because so, that's the, I mean, like, you, you can picture, like, Oliver Twist or, exactly. uh, like, yeah. Little Orphan Annie. That's mm -hmm. Those are the stereotypes. But it's so, it's, I don't know, it might be a little bit more heartbreaking to hear that, I mean, Orphan is much more of a larger definition where they still have parents, mm -hmm. but their parents just can't. They might have also been maybe removed from them for mm -hmm. um, abuse or neglect or, oh, wow. you know, any of oh, those okay. reasons mm -hmm. too. But there might be a grandmother 
that would love to right. have them right. in their home and, and, and be in their life or an aunt or an uncle or some other family member. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these countries, um, their system is just overwhelmed. So they yeah. don't even know where to start on how to even put kids into other options. Mm-hmm. Foster care, kinship care is what's that called um, if you're with a different family member. Mm-hmm. So we're helping go into these countries and talk to them about options for children instead of just automatically residential. Yeah. Because study after study have shown that residential is just not a great outcome for children. Mm-hmm. Children are meant to be in families. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So is it pretty different from country country to country, like some of the, I guess, like how you have to work with different agencies and things like that? Do y'all, are, are y'all helping to work with orphanages in different countries or yeah, I just, I guess, what's that kind of like? Yeah. So it just really does look different in every country. Mm-hmm. So I'll back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I've been doing orphan care in the people at Orphan Outreach, we started doing it in the mid nineties. So I was led to do it after my husband and I adopted from Russia. Mm -hmm. We adopted babies in one in 1996 and one in 1998. And at that time, across the world, we really realized that, like, say, in Russia, they had no idea about foster care as an option. They were sort of like the 1930s orphanages here in the United States. Mm -hmm. So it was actually going in and really talking with the government there about other options for children. Um, We're still working in Russia. There's still orphanages, but there's a lot less kids in the orphanages. So our actually... in. Russia, it looks like to us, helping the kids as they age out of the orphanage system. Mm-hmm. Children we've known for 20 years, you know, that are young adults, and young adults need a lot of support, right? I, I mean, yes. yeah. can't <laughs> confirm as a young adult, I need a lot of support. Yeah, right? right? Yeah. And so can you imagine not having someone to go to? No. Um, and especially if we're wanting to disciple these children right. Right. and disciple their relationship with the Lord, we really want to be yeah. able to be there to meet their physical, emotional right. needs so we can meet those spiritual needs. So it does look a little bit different, Um, but as we have the experience to go in and we've gained experience in talking with governments about different options for children. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like amazing work. I mean, do you, like, that, you said that comes from just your personal experience with it, you and your husband's experience with it. Um, Can you just talk a little bit more about like where that comes from and just like what that process was like the the adoption process from russia sure Uh, what what was that process like for you guys so um for us it was kind of the wild west of adoption back then in the 90s so an adoption at that time also there were a lot of people adopting internationally Mm -hmm. so china was a big country for adoption interestingly enough we were too um young to adopt from China. They they like you to be 35 or older at that time. Really? Because they have a culture based on wisdom with mm-hmm. elders. Yep. Yeah, so sense. we heard Russia was, was open and they needed people. And so we're like, okay, sign us up. So when we look at it now, we see God's hand in every step. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We actually filled out the paperwork the week our daughter was born. Really? So we realized that God, we thought about it and prayed about it and gone to meetings, but we realized God was like, okay, gave us that nudge, like now is the time because she's born and you got to get going so you can go get her. And I will say for both of them, um, the thing that broke my heart was we went over to adopt them. You go and you see the orphanage and I'm a curious person. So I might have, when I went to the bathroom (laughs) at the orphanage, maybe snuck down the hallway and (laughs) 
maybe peeked Looking in a few closet. doors, maybe yeah. a little bit, because I just wanted to see, you know, what, what was it like where she was. And I was just heartbroken by the number of children. Uh, each baby home would have over 100 babies from zero to three wow. at that time. So you just can imagine crib after crib after crib filled with these beautiful babies. And when we got home, I would look in the face of our little daughter and two things always hit me. One, how can there not be a God if my daughter was born on the other side of the world? Yeah. Like Brad and I were so certain this was our daughter. Like this yeah. is exactly, she'd been born in our heart. Yeah. You know, like this yeah. is, she was supposed to always be with us. So there has to be a God. And then the second was, what about all those little babies that don't have someone who's holding them at night and right. loving them yeah. and only thinking of them and putting them first? And I have to do something to help those kids. Mm-hmm. So that just set me on a path. Um, and um, praise the Lord, I just had a husband who always just let me kind of go along with that path, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you know, didn't um, hold Amen. me back, right? Because it, yeah. it took both of us in the relationship. Like, and so I went, um, I volunteered for an organization that yeah. was working in Russia. I went on my first mission trip in 1999. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And then I thought my heart had been broken before, but on yeah. that trip, you go from orphanage to orphanage to orphanage to orphanage filled with children. Yeah. And I thought, I have to do something to make a change. Um, And on the flight back, I literally said a prayer to God. I said, it's the only time I really have felt him speak to me. I was like, I wish I was young and could do whatever I wanted to do. Now, mind you, I was 32 at the time. So, (laughs) but to me, I had a path in my life and I was like, this is my path. And God was like, hey, you are young. That's the only thing he's yeah. ever said to me. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I am. I of can't do it. Of all the things you can expect from God, just a big booming voice. It's like, okay, you are young. Hello. <laughs> You've got time to do these things. Yeah. So, so that- I, I went back and talked to my husband and said, I feel called to do this. And he said, well, if God said you're supposed to do it, then he will make a way. So wow. do it. That's amazing. So you're a co-founder. So who who's the uh, who's the partner? Who's so the there other, actually the were six of us that started oh, Orphan okay. Outreach. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Wow. Um, and we all came from um, a, a different ministry mm-hmm. that had been doing international work. And at the same time, we all felt called to mm-hmm. start Orphan Outreach. So at the same time, at the same time, that's, that's like a whole nother amazing God story, of course. But looking back again, it was 2007. And I think we were pretty naive in some ways starting an international ministry, right? right? You kind of have to be, you have to be like, we're just going to do this and it's just going to work out. And then 2008 was the financial crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't it crash something? Recession. recession? Yeah. Yeah. A huge recession. So we'd started in April of 2007. And I can tell you sitting here to today, we have financially grown every year since we started. Wow. Even that 2008 year, our numbers have gone up by like 15%. Yeah. So we've been able to serve more and more mm-hmm. and more children. And we just see God's hands yeah. in every bit of that. Yeah. Wow. What's like, what's a really good day look like for, for, for you and your work? Like what's a really, really good day look like? Well, that's a great question. A really good day for me is being on the mission field. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. why this year has been so hard, <laughs> right? Just sitting on your hands. Yeah. yeah. And just being able to be in the background. So a really good day to me is literally just being there with the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a day when I walk into an orphanage and the children are screaming, Tia <laughs> Tiffany, because I go by Aunt Tiffany down there, yeah. you know, and that they know that I'm back and I just keep. I miss hugs so much. Mm -hmm. 
I feel so blessed. I was able to go in March right before the wow. countries closed down. Oh, wow. And I have to tell you, I was with a team of about 20 women and mm-hmm. we were hugging those kids extra tight because we thought, well, maybe we might be shut yeah. down for a month or two. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. my May trip may not happen. You know, I may not get there back till July. And now I don't know when I'm going to go back. Yeah. Yeah. But what I have faith in is our staff has been there pouring into those kids. Mm-hmm. That's so great. that's the thing that keeps me going. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Andy, you've got some you've you've got some <laughs> experience with the adoption process and things like that. Just was kind of curious to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, obviously I don't have as much as Tiffany and and I'm so excited that you're here. I like oh gosh. I I think I've gotten to hear your story like two or three times now and it's it's this is awesome. So thank you for sharing that and um, no, so, um, we, so Melissa and I are kind of new to Texas, right? So we've yeah. been here for, uh, about a year and a half. Steve and I are both from Oklahoma. Yep. Um, Ooh. and, uh, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Appreciate it. That's why you're out all the way over there. Yeah. I feel <laughs> Macy. bad. Macy has like her own, like little sad table yeah. off to the side. This is we're... the lead table. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm that's on why top she, of these things. That's why she's got the flowers behind her. I've got yeah. these smaller, you know, Interesting. yellow flowers. flowers. She's got I'm the really big flowers. I'm just kidding. But, um, no, so, uh, so we're from Oklahoma and, and, um, well, I mean, I guess kind of backstory, you know, when Melissa and I first got married, you know, of course you start talking about like the family you're going to have and all that stuff. And, um, and my wife, Melissa had, had always talked about, you know, fostering or adopting. And, um, that scared me a little bit. You know, I, um, my mom was like a, a subscriber to like Reader's Digest, you know, like when that was the thing, I guess. Yeah. And, um, for some reason I picked up one of them and I actually read an article and it was kind of this horror story about an adoption that just, you know, went went wrong, mm. you know, and I, I was, you know, probably like 12 or something like that. And, um, so it really, you know, kind of scared me. I was like, man, that, I don't know if I want to get into that. And so when Melissa and I got married, you know, she's like, Hey, I want to do adoption. I'm like, okay, way down the road. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, our kids grow up, they're aged up, you know, they're they're We've sent them off. Well, maybe adoption after that point, um, or fostering or whatever. Um, and then, when Melissa and I were in Oklahoma, we were serving a church. We met a family uh, that had three girls uh, that were adopted into that family. And Melissa was a student minister. I was an associate pastor. Um, I got to help lead their confirmation. So, I mean, we really interacted a lot with these girls and um, knew them pretty well. And then um, summer, gosh, what was that, 17? Uh, 2017, we, uh, I got a phone call from uh, Oklahoma DHS. Uh, said that these girls are being removed from the home and that they had asked, um, we asked them where they'd want to go stay for an interim period and they asked if they could come stay with you. Uh, of course, the answer was yes. It wasn't, you know, we're like, okay, we'll go. So we picked them up, loaded them, you know, we have a, we have a minivan that we call our swagger wagon. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so we had plenty of room, uh, loaded them in the, in, the, in the van, brought them home. At the time, uh, our son Elijah um, was almost two and Anna, what, what that makes her what, like almost five. And uh, so we had three, these three girls in our home for about a month, month and a half. Um, and it was, it was great. I mean, it was exhausting and terrifying and loud and all these things. There were, you know, what, there were seven of us in a four bedroom house, wow. which, you know, isn't made for that. Um <laughs> And so, but it was great. Uh, we found a kind of a more permanent foster care placement for them until they could figure something out. Uh, then fast forward to March of this year. 
um, one of the sisters had aged out. We knew that we'd been in contact with the girls. Um, and then there were other two that were going to be adopted into another, into another home. Um, we got another call from Oklahoma DHS that didn't know that we had moved to Texas mm -hmm. and said, um, the middle child, um, is looking for another adoptive placement. It's just not going to be a good fit. We want you to consider adopting her. And, um, I mean, it was just, you know, it was just a heavy question, you know, and, and, and especially for me, you know, having gone through this process of, you know, we had the three girls, you know, like I thought we did that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, um, but, you know, we had to pray about it. I, I had, you know, talked to some of my mentors about it and um, really felt like this was the thing that we were being called to do. And I knew, and I've said this before, like I, I knew it was from God because I didn't immediately want to do it. You know what I mean? Like, like, like you're out on a limb. You're uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, if something interrupts your thought process, that's probably not you thinking it mm -hmm. right. That's probably like the spirit interceding in my cognitive ability in some way, whatever you want to call that. Um, so the greatest thing was that, you know, Melissa and I talked about it. And, um, and I kind of had this contingency cause I was just like, let's talk to the kids about it. You know, they're, they're old enough to like, the decision doesn't lie with them, but we want to know their opinion, mm -hmm. uh, how they feel about it. Um, so Elena was the, was the child that was looking for an adoption and placement. And so we, um, we're playing with the kids in the game room and just kind of, you know, like not real formal, just like, Hey, you know, uh, we heard that Elena is looking for a place to live. What do you guys think about her living with us? And like, both of them were just like, yes. You know, like, like, I was just like, guys, be cool. You know, like I was, you know, holding this as a contingency plan. Um, and they were just like, yeah, like that's, that's what we're going to do. And then every day after that asked when Elena was going to come live with us. It's so cute. Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. And, um, yeah. So we adopted, um, we actually adopted. So July 10th was the adoption date. July 11th, Elena turned 18. So, um, wow. it was, wow. it was a process. Man, I mean, you know, trying to get all that stuff done because the, the goal was to get her adopted before 18 because then she gets another year of services oh, okay. um, while she's 18. Mm -hmm. And so um, we were really so, you know, pretty soon after that. So April, she came and stayed with us, mm -hmm. um, probably late April, early May. And then um, we were booking it, trying to get that whole process done, which I mean, mm -hmm. Tiffany knows is no small feat to get mm -hmm. all the paperwork done. But I mean, we're so thankful. It's just been an incredible blessing. And Do you think you're still in the honeymoon period of it all then? <laughs> no, I mean, honeymoon phase. No, I mean, because, <laughs> because we knew her beforehand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, all of this stuff is like, if God wanted me ad to adopt, God would have done it in this way. You know, like, you know the child, you have a relationship, mm -hmm. um, and all of these things. And so, like, that's kind of the way it worked out. You know, because when she came and stayed with us, you know, we had to have like, like really serious conversations because like she and her sisters had stayed with us before. And so like, we knew the things to look out for. So we had pretty serious conversations early on about, you know, what was going on. And, um, so, but who knows, maybe, right. Maybe you're still in the, how do you know if you're in the honeymoon stage? I don't you know? know. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's you a don't. good question. <laughs> you don't. I mean, <laughs> you really right. don't. You just kind of, you get through it and you're like, oh, we're done with the honeymoon phase. Mm -hmm. But no, I mean, we're, you know, we have, missteps and small conflicts and yeah. 
But that's, I mean, I assume that's pretty standard with any well, so, right. child thing. Yeah, that's yeah. parenting. Right. Yeah, that's, right. Right. that's basically the basic parenting. fact yeah. of parenting. Exactly. Yeah. Not that I have any personal experience, but I'm guessing that's what it is. No, it's, it's accurate. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're entering into this Advent season. By the time people are listening to this, we'll be, uh, I think we'll be past Thanksgiving. Um, but we'll be entering into this Advent season and the kind of our topic this for this advent is god's presence um obviously a play on words with it being presence and presence it's cute isn't that good did you ever catch that you did not just get that Uh, a little bit we'll we'll have a prayer for macy later we need to pray over macy it's 2020 guys (laughs) i i like got god god's presence but i didn't understand okay but we're but we're talking about god's presence and um in, in different seasons of life, uh, different scenarios, different um, situations. And the the reason why we wanted to have both of you on is because we're talking about God's presence in waiting. And, and Advent's a time of preparation, of anticipation, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of an excitement thing, too. Um, maybe it's also a time of, I don't know, just especially this year, kind mm-hmm. of dread, too, kind of going on. Um, but you both seem to have a lot of experience with just high stakes waiting. And what I mean by just high stakes waiting is just like just intense pressure, probably like you've probably walked, I mean, you've probably been in a situation with your both two daughters, a daughter and a son, a daughter and a son. Okay. Where you had to probably wait. Right. Um, same, like you just mentioned, Andy. Can you just describe, I guess, just describe what it's like to wait like that? Just for, for those who, um, what does that feel like to be in the middle of just a very high stakes period of waiting? So it's really interesting. You sent these questions yesterday yeah. and I even Googled high stakes waiting because I'd never <laughs> heard it said like that before, right? Like I think I probably just wrote it down. I think it's a Stevenism. Is it? Because I, I was I like high stakes. And um, there was not really any good no. Google answers <laughs> just to let you know good. if anybody well, else out there know. is thinking about Googling Copyright it, that. it's not going to work. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> this yeah. might be a good thesis statement if you want to go back. Waiting. Yeah, high, high stakes waiting. High stakes waiting. But, but just the pressure. I really the... realized, yeah, that, that of course, I mean, the whole time um, there felt so much pressure for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. We were... You know, when you have a child biologically, mm-hmm. um, after you've conceived and you know you're pregnant, you kind of know what the date is going to be, right? Yeah. Around, you, gotta you guess, know, yeah. around <laughs> this month. And you know if it's a boy or girl, usually a lot of people find that out beforehand. And when you're adopting, you don't know any of that. All of that goes out of the window. And timing, like, you know, you don't know when your paperwork's going to be approved. You don't know when you're going to be able to send it off. Then you don't know when you're get at that time in Russia, you got a referral, which mm. was like, they emailed you a really short little video of a child and said, does this child, you know, do you want this child or not? Basically is oh, what they, they would do. a video and was like, do you want this kid? Yeah. Well, they mailed you one on FedEx. We didn't have email back and like I got, we actually yeah. literally Seriously? got a legit FedEx of a VHS S tape that I had to run and copy to send to grandparents and all of that, right? Of just like just a little infant. A little infant. And for our daughter, her name is Ina, um, which is actually even an un- unusual 
Russian name. It's yeah. not a normal name. And we, I'd had all these really pretty Russian names picked out. Tatiana, Dasha. <laughs> so I had in my mind what, you know, a child might look like. And on the video, she's being held by a nurse at the orphanage and they're calling her name. And every time they called her name Ina, she would look. And I was like, well, she knows her name. Oh, right. So we can't, I can't change her name. I'm taking everything else from her, yeah. her culture and her world. Yeah. And so I'm going to keep that name. And so Brad and I were really mm -hmm. like rooted that that was going to be your name because she just kept looking. Um, but they gave you like a little, like literally a little paragraph about the child, the age, health concerns, those kind of things mm -hmm. where oh you could gosh. make a decision, yes or no. It, it was not a long decision process, as you can imagine, kind of right. like when you got the call. Right. You know, right, there's right, a, right. like yeah. you think for a second and you're like, yes, of course. Right. Like, because this yeah. is what we've been for us. We've been moving towards it. But regardless, it was all in God's plan that that was the videotape that we were going to get that day. Wow. And, um, what was the question? Oh, waiting. <laughs> just, yeah. just, waiting. So then yeah. there was the waiting for that. And at the time, my husband's mom, um, had had a cancer diagnosis oh. and we knew she was not long for this world. Mm -hmm. And so he had this extra really tense, like, worry, 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 because he wanted to get home with a baby so that she could see that he was a father for the first time. Wow. And she was really worried. She'd read a lot of those Reader Digest kind of books, I right, think. Right. And she was so worried. And she was praying every day for this child who we didn't know what it was. Like, yeah. was it all going to work out? And, you know, those kind of horror stories people... Um, have about it and so she was very concerned so it was we had that pressure and then you go to Russia and we got to Russia at the at the time um Boris Yeltsin had a heart attack he was the I guess the prime minister at the time and all the governors of the regions had to go to Moscow so we were in this little town in the middle of nowhere Russia there's like not even food on the shelves I mean it was the 1990s and yeah. um all the signs are in Cyrillic and we had met our daughter, but we didn't know if he was ever going to sign the papers. Yeah. And I think I mentioned this in small group. I brought up, uh, I was like, what about money? Would money help with the situation here? <laughs> and I mean, like, because I was so panicked. Yeah. And of course, money was not the answer to the situation. Right. That's a very American uh, kind of, you know, capitalism kind of solution. Can I pay solution. for this to make it go faster? Yeah. Can I yeah. pay for it to make it go faster? Yeah. Because we were so panicked that we were going to have to get on that plane and go all the way back. And that we weren't going to have our baby girl with us that we, you know, met. And this was one oh thing gosh. to have her little short video and her little picture on the fridge. But then when you met her and held her, so that waiting was excruciating. I can, and, and it just seems like there's like nothing you can do, right? I mean, there's like certain things you can do, but you kind of just have to. It's completely out of, it was completely it, right? out of our hands, yeah. really, most of the process. So, but tell the rest of the story, though, right? So, so. Because remind me, <laughs> because you're waiting. So, so you have a plane ticket. You're waiting to get your daughter before the plane ticket, so that you can get back to see your husband's mom. Yes, with yes, the baby. With right? the baby. So, oh yeah. And so again, it it was Brad remembers. We were standing in the hallway of the orphanage, and he turned and he saw the nurse like running towards him with our daughter. And he just remembers that side of her. And he always, he always talks about to her, you know, I just remember the side of you when you were there running towards us and the paperwork had been signed. And so we were able to get on the flight and come all the way back and get down to Houston. Yeah. And she was able to meet, you know, her grandmother before her grandmother passed. I think we came back early 
October and um, his mother didn't pass till December. So we went several times and we just saw God's hand in that too. And I think that's the thing when I was thinking about high stakes waiting, when you (laughs) said that, you know, for everyone, we pray for God to give us patience and to give us, you know, um, grace and understanding and to, you know, make it so we're not like trying to rely on things like paying for a baby or any of those kind of things, which are not appropriate. And I, I say we should not be paying for babies. But um, I think that when you get past it and you look back, then I saw God's hand in everything. Like right. Brad and I could be like, wow, she was born the week we mailed the paperwork to the agency. She was, um, her birthday is January 4th. And so they have to be in an adoption um available for adoption for Russians for six months. So her Independence Day is July 4th, when she was made able <laughs> to that amazing? have a family, right? So we're like, whoa, look at this. And then we found out about her July 16th. We were to go September 25th. Like each of those things we look back now, we're like, it, it was our daughter. Like if it had gone quicker or slower, like there was another family waiting in line, mm-hmm. you know, that, that God had his hand in it the whole time. Yeah. And so I guess that's what I think about with what's going on now with COVID, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That like, we're going to get past it and yeah. we're going to look back that's great. and we're going to see, okay, right. God wanted us to slow down right. or whatever it was. Like, I don't know what I'm going to see when I right. get to the other side, but I know that I've gone through things time and time again with high stakes waiting <laughs> that, you know, that you, at the end of it, when you get to the other side, you realize. Yeah. 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 Andy, is your experience with that similar or is it? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, so, I mean, this is all like pretty fresh for us, right? Right. I mean, July. Uh, So we had basically like two months to adopt Elena. Um, Which that's such a short period of time. It is a a crazy short period of time. And... Um, and also there's special work that you have to do to adopt across state lines. So like I told you, you know, Oklahoma didn't know that we had moved to Texas. So when they called us, you know, they said, do you want to adopt? And we said, yes. Um, but we moved to Texas and then immediately the person said, well, that's just not going to work. Um, and, and she's like, you know, we can, we can try it. Right. And, and so we went through this process and God bless, you know, so, so we, we had we we had Elena before we officially adopted her. It was kind of like a kinship placement, right? So like for a month, you know, a, an adoptive child can just be in a home that's like a close family friend or relative. And so we were kind of in that kinship placement. We had that for 30 days, um, and then we had it extended for another 30 days so we could, we could continue it. And so in this like extended kinship placement, we're talking with every agency we can find to try to figure out how to go through this process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, God bless people who work in, you know, Texas CPS, Child Protective Services, or Oklahoma DHS, um, Department of Human Services. It can't be an easy job. Yeah. You know, like, it, it's just, and people who work there, I think, genuinely feel called to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were certain parts along the process that Melissa and I just kind of felt like there were people working against us in the process, mm. um, which, you know, most, you know, like they maybe they weren't right i mean but but it's just one of those things where you just felt like hey i'm trying to get this through because this is the deadline we're working against and some people are just saying well you know good luck you know 
and super helpful. Clearly. No, no, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it was it was <laughs> good luck. It's, yeah, good luck. Have fun. Yeah, I mean, it was it it was. I mean, it was really awful. Like I I, mm-hmm. I think back on that and just like how hard it was to be in that period of we're working towards this time and we don't know if Elena is going to be adopted now. Oh. In that time it was really important. And and Melissa and I talked a lot during this time of like focusing on what we could do, right? Like there were, we could make phone calls to people. We could send emails, but we can't control how fast somebody moves paperwork from one desk to another. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like, you know, okay, I can call this person today. I can send this email. I can do this thing. Um, and to know at the end of the day, the good news was the, the reason that we were working so hard is so that Elena would have these services for another year um, and be able to receive the stipend that she'd be able to put away in savings and, and have this kind of nest egg, you know, whenever it is. She's not moving out anytime soon, but whenever it is, she, she moves out. Um, we worked way too hard for her to move out next year. But... Um, <laughs> um, so, I mean, that was, so we had to like look at, okay, these are the things that we can do. And the good news is, is like, regardless, she's still going to be in our home. Mm-hmm. You know, like whatever they say, she's our daughter. Um, but that high stakes waiting was hard. And I think the only thing that got us through it was obviously the grace of God and letting God control what God does and us doing the things that only we could do. And, um, and, and like I said, we, we made it. And, and I don't, so we have um, like our adoption day, it was on Zoom and, uh, you know, we're getting dressed up, you know, like we're going to church, you know, and we've got the computer set up and the kids are there with us and Elena's there with us. And, um, and Melissa is just like elated. The ent- it's in the morning. So, you know, we all get up extra early just to get ready for it and celebrate it. And um, Melissa is just like beaming. She's so excited. And she's looking at me and she's like, you look terrified. And I'm just like, I'm terrified that at any point this is going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. You know, like I'm terrified that like we're going to sit in front of the computer and the judge is going to say something because it's not official until the judge declares that it's so right. So, I mean, like I'm terrified that any number of things could happen along this process that it's just not going to work. Um, and of course it didn't, I mean, it went smoothly and, and like, as the, you know, the, the, the court appointment was going on, I could see that it was like, Oh, this is happening. This is happening. And so like, I'm like getting more and more excited. And of course it happened. So you waited literally until the very, it, like you felt like you were in a pattern of waiting and literally until it was over until, yeah. I mean, and basically until she hit her gavel, like I, wow, I was, you know, had that like twinge of anxiety. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, back to flying back from Russia the same yeah. I mean until we hit the ground here in the United States right it didn't seem like it was real mm. so it's like you almost like you're holding your breath yeah right yeah and you've been waiting and it is so high stakes I mean you can't have higher stakes than the life of a child right right, right. <laughs> so yeah. yeah I mean I, there's there's tons of different things you can think about in terms of just high stakes waiting and it's like it's not your. It's not like you're afraid of something impending, like something immediately happening to you. Like if you're, it's not like you're driving a car and you're looking out for an accident. It's like you're waiting until the very last, like like you said, until the gavel strikes, and mm-hmm. it's just this foreboding kind of sense of. Oh, it's, I think the word you used was excruciating in terms of how it made you feel. Um, I'm just really, really curious. You said that it was nothing but the grace of God that helped you through it. And then um, I can't remember how you phrased it, but same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It, can you talk about moments during that wait 
where you knew that you knew that you knew that God was with you, that God was with you in that specific moment? Is there yeah. anything that you can think of? Yeah. I mean, like I said, so there were people that we felt like, you know, we were, um, I was praying for cause I felt like they weren't necessarily as helpful as they could have been. But then there were other people, um, there was a person doing our home inspection, mm-hmm. um, which I feel like you had to do a million. And, um, they were like different, like, Oh, this person has to come inspect your home. And this person has to come inspect your home. Um, one person like was doing, like we were on FaceTime, we were showing around our house and she was like, you know, do you have like a hand towel rack? And I was like, is this the most important thing that we can be talking about right now? Like, what is going on? I was like, I don't think I have a hand towel rack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, ha- the towel was laying there on the counter. And it was like, what? Uh, no, but they could, wa- I'm pretty sure they could dry their hands right there. Um, she's 18. She can figure it out. Um, but the, the, like one of the last people to do a home inspection was actually uh, like a contractor. Like they, they had this other people to, to do it. And um, that was like one of the last things we were waiting for was this person to come inspect our home. And... Um, and the date that it was scheduled, like this is just a contract work. So they just kind of send it out and they're like, hey, can you do this? And then they just say yes. And then they make the uh, schedule the appointment. Mm-hmm. Well, the time that they had scheduled the appointment was for after Lena had already turned 18. Um, and so that was like it. I mean, according to DHS, they weren't going to do anything more, you know, because th- that's the contractor. You know what I mean? And... Um, and so we called the person scheduled to do the appointment and we're just like, Hey, this is what's going on. And the woman, um, said, you know, I've, um, she said, I've adopted three kids wow. and, um, there's nothing I wouldn't do Oof. for them. And, uh, she said, I'll, I'll be there tonight. And oh so the day we called her, That's she showed up <laughs> the right person at the right, right, right time. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, she said, you know, I'll rush this along. I mean, she was one of our last steps. And like we had that person not gone through the adoption process, not been willing to show up after hours at our house, not been willing to stay up. I mean, she was texting us like 11 o'clock that night because she was writing this report and she was asking us questions. And like, I mean, that that was the grace of God. Mm-hmm. It's like the innkeeper that got it right. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally, yeah. Totally. yeah. We do yeah. have room for you in the end. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Wow. wow. What about you, Tiffany? Is there a moment that you can think of that is just, or even now, just in the work that you do now where you just see God's hand at work and, um, and it's just present, present with people or present with families during this time of just high stakes waiting? There's so many moments, really, <laughs> right? Because if you really, like I said, it's when you get to the other side of things and you look back and you mm-hmm. think, right wow, God just really knew all those things. So um, the people that he has just brought into my life and just seeing how he has provided ways for ministry in ways that I could never imagine. So, of course, you know, our story started, Brad and I, we adopted Ina. Mm -hmm. We flew back on October 3rd of 1996 with her. Our son was born October 3rd in 1997. Of course, we didn't, you know, we didn't really, again, God just kept giving us these dates to say, you know, I kind of call them God winks. Other people call it that, you know, like, hello, I was there the whole time, the whole time when you weren't really sure. Um, My husband and I for sure have always said like we would, I would have been the old lady in the shoe with too many children. She didn't Mm. know what to do. Like if I could have forged a signature, I would have just kept on adopting and been one of those serial adopters. 
<laughs> but I see now that God just had this plan for me in ministry, and I could not have seen it at all. Like, you have to understand, I was working in a very secular job, yeah. doing annual reports for oil and gas companies oh, that, wow. like, rape and pillage the earth, basically. <laughs> yeah. wow. You know, it was a very different kind of job, working 90 to 100 hours a week. And I never would have thought of myself as someone in ministry. I think sometimes people set up in their minds what someone in ministry is like. Mm -hmm. So for us, there was a printer. My husband also was working in advertising. There was a small printer in Mesquite, Texas that did a lot of printing for my agency that I worked at and I was a partner at. Their other big client was my husband's agency. Their third client was this ministry I ended up working for first. Hmm. And he put us on the mailing list because that ministry had started working in Russia. And he's like, oh, I think that they would enjoy getting these mailings. And one day I picked up the magazine and I just cold called them and said, hey, I work in advertising. Maybe there's a way I could help. And so I just think that God wanted to make, like he brought that all together. It wasn't only he could have made that be, right? Um, And he does that for everybody. And when you get on the other side of it and you look back, you see, wow, he had that all lined up he knew we were going to adopt Dina he knew we were going to go back and adopt Misha he knew that you know that there was another path for me than what I was doing at the time what I think is so interesting about y'all's stories is that you know there are like you said I think you both have said there are things that you can do in control but then there's another half to the story that you just have to trust in the waiting right and that's so difficult because especially I feel like now like we're so used to having control over every aspect of our lives right and yet that there's a there's this whole part of christianity and this whole part of faith that requires us to to you know meet almost meet god halfway but then it like we're meeting god halfway there's another half that exists and so can you kind of talk to speak to that of like what is it what how can you help people um be a little bit more comfortable in that space of knowing this is what i can do and i can do no more right you know well, I think, you know, um, a lot of it for us, too, is, um, and I say us, you know, people, especially like in, you know, North Texas, North Dallas, mm-hmm. um, we can do like a lot of things for ourselves, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, and so most of the things that we do are within our own power and we're really comfortable with and we've been really successful at. And I think to like step into this, this phase of waiting opens you up you lose power but you're opened up to a, such a greater experience than you could have ever done on your own right mm-hmm. i mean like mm-hmm. you can't just adopt a child on your own right tiffany tried she you know tried to pay off the russians it didn't work, <laughs> it, didn't work. Um, it did not work well and, and tiffany mentions that i i remember thinking the exact same thing like right. i'll what what do they need you know i'll do it yeah and they're just like it doesn't work that way you can't do that um and thank God it can't, right? I mean, like, right. because this entire process, part of this process, I think for me at least, and, and I would say for Tiffany, is just like for God to prove that God will do what only God will do. Yeah. And you can't do that if you're only doing things that you are 100% comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you've been prepared for, like everyone is just waiting right now. It feels like, I mean, right. oh, totally, yeah. we were waiting on election results. We were, ra- we, I mean, we've been waiting all year long. It feels like to me, I mean, just in a, 
Well, I feel like, I mean, we're in this, you know, I remember thinking again in March, like, oh, we'll shut down for three months and yeah. we'll be cool. And then I'll, you know, we'll go, we'll have annual conference in June. We'll have mission trips. We'll have all these things. And we're still waiting for right. wait a month. It'll go back to normal. Yeah. And it wait three months. It'll and, go back to and normal. And for sure yeah. that was very similar to my adoption story right. with both of them because yeah. it was the deadlines you could not control. That's yeah. where it gets really hard. Mm-hmm. Like it's easier to wait. That's why I was like, right. again, I haven't had a biological child, but I would think in some ways it's easier to wait because you can, can God is, a, you know, nine months. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the ending. Be a baby. Yeah. You, right? you know, know the, the ending. ending. Yeah. But with adoption, it was like the deadline kept changing yeah. and moving and going back and forth. And we were actually really lucky. Both of our adoptions happened fairly quickly. Some people wait years right. and years for adoption. Yeah. And I've counseled oh lots gosh. of families with that. And I can't even imagine that where the, where the, mm-hmm. the goalpost keeps changing moving. and that's yeah. what's happening right now right yeah exactly. it's the same thing like we all thought well we can do this for a little while mm-hmm. and then you know the summit of the mountain yeah. has just kept going oh, yeah. and going and we're like okay so now we're gonna do it a little lo- while longer yeah. well they're moving the finish line on us you yeah. know and there's i mean you you bring up you know families waiting i have a family friend um from where i went to school and undergrad um and they fostered their now adopted daughters for three years right yeah. and during that whole three-year process it was the toss-up of the family might come back and decide that they're able to take these girls and so these girls that become part of you know this family are now no longer part of this family right. and so they never knew up until you know the gavel hit was this actually going to be part of my life? And I feel like that's kind of where we are now, this liminal space of, are, are, are we done? Or are we not? Oh, we're going back. Oh, we're moving forward. Oh, we're in this unknown space. And so I just, you know, part of me wonders, how does that relate to this, you know, this Christmas story that we read every year about waiting and anticipating and expecting something incredible and yet not really knowing, like, the totality of how cool this is going to be, um, but knowing something good is coming. So I don't know if, if you can speak to that of what does that feel like, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, um, I definitely feel like, you know, we probably had like a master's level course in waiting, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and that has been helpful. And I think what Tiffany said uh, will really stick with me about like, I don't know when this will end, but I know that when I get beyond it, I'll be able to look back and see what God was doing all along. Mm. You know, and I wonder if the same wasn't true for, you know, like Mary and Joseph, right? right. This like whole process when they're like, oh, wow, you know, we got, you know, like, like, you know, the shepherds were able to find us because we were in the, um, you know, in the, the what do you stable? call that? Stable. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I was like, I had, what do you call that thing? I'm a pastor. You're supposed to know that. There's no room in the inn. In okay. The, so okay. Um, you got this. But, it's like uh, you what know, like, is- I wonder if I wonder if Mary and Joseph are able to look back and see that thing. Mm-hmm. And then I wonder if this moment of waiting for us will be able to say, like, we don't know when this will end. But when we look back, we'll see these things like the angels speaking to Joseph and Mary mm-hmm. and 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 there not being any room at the end. And like all of these different things. And to say, like, you know, for, for Tiffany to be able to say, look, I, I've been through this process and this is what it looks like when you get through it. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, we're there. Right. I mean, that's all yeah. like what, what Tiffany does. Right. Or for now, just be able to sit with families who are going through that process mm-hmm. of waiting and look like people have waited. And this is what's happened at the end. Mm-hmm. As, Others have waited before you. Right. And yeah. have made it through. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. And What's, then you like create like a community of people who are waiting. 
right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah. Tiffany has, like, this community of people who are just, like, sitting around and waiting. Mm-hmm. And they, they, like, are preparing and they are working and they're doing what only they can do. And, like, that's church, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's what we're doing is we're sitting around Sunday and we're waiting. Um, and we're saying, okay, we're not going to just sit here and hope that all these things, like, fall in place. I'm going to do the things that only I can do. Right. And, and we're going to trust in, in God to do what only God does. Yeah. It's so interesting because, you know, no one would really wish coronavirus and what's gone on, Mm -hmm. like on any of us or anything like that. Um, But I do wonder, like you're saying, like, we get past this, what are the lessons that we're learning in the wait, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Are there any lessons that that you're, is it pretty similar to... Just the high stakes waiting that you you've experienced, or what are, what are the lessons that are your, y'all are learning in this like global time of waiting? Kind of, um, yeah. Talk to your experience of that. A I bit. talked a little bit about um, really knowing and understanding how amazing our staff is internationally now. Yeah. That they didn't need us to come over on mission trips to yeah. support the work they were doing on go. the ground. Yeah. Mm. So that's something for sure. Like I think we felt like when we would go on trips and maybe it was just me that we, that going on the trips and bringing people to the ministry sites was like the integral part of the ministry that was going on in each of these countries. And we sit back and we're like, if we never could go again, like the work we've done and the seeds we planted in those countries is just taking off and they're taking ownership and in a way, in a beautiful way of their own countries. And they're being able to make a difference in their own countries that we could have never done in ways we, couldn't conceive so for sure that's one way that i i have seen this year just through our staff and i've been we in our small group we've talked about prayer and i mentioned that i was like had been going down the list and adding different people of our international staff to my prayer list in a very um private way i haven't like told them hey i'm praying for you because i'm just in awe of what they've done and right. and, and the work that they're doing and i know that they need our prayers mm. our whole russia staff got covid wow. wow and they were really sick yeah but they never stopped doing their ministry wow wow for example so that's amazing yeah yeah um you know i i've been thinking a lot so there's been a lot of blessings that have come out of covid for us uh, one of the blessings is that uh, adopting Elena. So we, so my daughter Anna, my young, uh, younger daughter Anna is now seven. Elijah is four. Um, we live in a three-bedroom house, so Anna and Elijah are sharing a bedroom now, which is what they weren't doing beforehand. Um, so now they have bunk beds, which was cool for a little bit, and you know is not as cool now. Um, although they get to jump off the bunk bed, so I guess that's still kind of. That's cool. always still cool. But. Um, Anyways, there were a lot of changes that happened in our house. And I had, like, if nothing but a, like, stable house growing up. You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I moved in the house when I was three um, and graduated from high school from that same house. Yeah. Uh, my parents, like, at, you know, 6.30 were on the couch watching 2020. You know, at 9.30 they went to bed. You know, like, it was just this, like, routine house, which was very helpful for me growing up. You know, like... Mm-hmm. It creates an identity. And so I was so anxious for my kids to have this, what looked like instability. Mm. But the thing that COVID did was like we were home. And so now we've added this person to our house, but mom and dad are also home all the time. And dad is having dinner 
with us every night and every night we're going around talking about our favorite part of our day and what was hard about today and we're praying together and things that we i mean we did that before covid but not in a habitual basis (laughs) you know what i mean and so that's been an, an incredible blessing that's come out of this experience and um there was another question that you asked that I can't, I don't think I answered it, but that was good. Yeah. 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 So just kind of like from just, you, you both have a ton of experience sitting in high stakes waiting. Um, is there any really kind of practical, tangible things that people can do? Um, if they find themselves in a high stakes situation of waiting, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe, I mean, I could think of a dozen situations where, yeah. Maybe it's not just adoption, but... Um, totally. I mean, yeah. like me, you know, sitting in a hospital for someone. Sitting in a hospital you know, waiting. That's a high-stakes thing that a lot of people experience mm-hmm. that we aren't necessarily equipped to experience, you know? But you guys have yeah. been equipped, yeah. Um, one of the things, one of the practices I've had for a little while now is, like, journaling. Um, mm-hmm. So I, like, do a thing called, like, bullet journaling. Mm-hmm. It's like a, you know, fad thing. But it, it's really helpful for me. But wh- one of the things it talks about is, like, the power of making lists. And, and so I found for me when, when anxiety would be high about the adoption process to make a list of the things that I could do um, and then work to check those things off beca- and make a list of things that I couldn't do and I can't control um, and to throw that away because it's not going to do you any good. And so that list and focusing on the things that I could control, and I think it's at any point, right? So, I mean, if you're in COVID and, you know, you can't control um, – you know, a lot of things, how fast the vaccine is going to work. You can't even mm-hmm. control, uh, you know, your other family members or right. where they're going to go, but you can control you, right? Mm-hmm. You can control where you're going to be, what you decisions you're going to make. And those are the things that you should, you should focus on. Make lists. Make lists. I like that. Of, of the things yeah. that you can control, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then do that and or check it off. Make I like a your bucket idea. list. I'm or make a bucket not list. Bucket. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I'm into. That's what I heard. Yeah. yeah. Make a bucket, bucket list. Yeah. Is that what you heard? Yeah. Try I all like the fast the food restaurants. I like throwing away a list of things you can't control. I like yeah. that a lot. I've never actually written them down before, but that seems like a really good practice, right? Yeah. No, like, you got to you got to write really it down are. and like, like literally hand, I cannot yeah. handwriting, right. handwriting a thing. There's this whole process of like handwriting is slower than typing yeah and and there's this like physical process of like getting it out of your brain because it's going to stay there whether you write it down or not mm-hmm. right well it's going to stay there if you don't write it down and then writing it down gets it on a piece of paper and away from you and did you burn it or you just nah, throw just, it away just throw it away okay. please if you do this uh if you listeners if you do this please let us know if you burn it because i really want to know because that's really cool yeah i think you have like a little ceremony it. yeah a little have ceremony a little like sounds kind of yeah, cool right a death that's ceremony for the things you cannot control there you go that's Ooh, that'd be a good service that'd be really interesting right i'm just picturing you doing it now <laughs> Which, like I sitting mean, at your kitchen sink with a honestly, list on fire i was gonna do it uh, uh fire pit in my parents backyard yeah. but there you go that <laughs> sounds better than a kitchen yeah. sink yeah. for no, sure no, no. if that's, we're gonna go big. i don't know why just like maybe that's the i can control this list is gonna catch my apartment on fire <laughs> well it's also i can control like i can't control what's on the list but i can control that the list is burned up and doesn't own me anymore right yeah you know that's yeah. the key I think. Yeah, 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 yeah yeah what do you think any other, any other tangible tips? Any other advice? Well, I'm a writer on paper, yeah. so I had written notes yeah. uh, as because I, I feel the same way. I like to like yeah. get it out. So I was going back over, and I noticed I wrote a couple of times 
gratitude, yeah. mm, which is kind of interesting when you're talking about things that are high stakes waiting and, yeah. you know, hard things that are going on, like waiting for adoption and waiting w during COVID. And I think for me, turning to gratitude and looking at the moments. Mm. So just like you were talking about, just the moments with your family. Yeah. Both my kids, now they're, one was graduating with her graduate degree and the other wow. was graduating from college and they both had to come home. So like, when would you ever be mm -hmm. able to spend the last semester with your two children, adult children, yeah. all together? Yeah. So I have gratitude in that. Yeah. So looking at the things in the process that you can have gratitude and, Absolutely. and writing those down and holding on to those. Yeah. Even in the midst of the things I'm not happy about at all, like not being able to go on the mission trip. <laughs> right, um, right. You know, the things that um, stress me out. Are we going to get sick? I have events. They're going to be all virtual now. Mm -hmm. The word pivot is not a friendly word to me anymore. I don't like the word pivot. <laughs> I think I said pivot twice Everyone in the first episode saying, we recorded. Yeah. Pivot, yeah. pivot, 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 pivot. It's like that, what's I'm that Friends episode? It. The Friends episode. Pivot, pivot, pivot. Yes. Yeah. That's how everyone's doing feeling now. Innovation yeah. and pivot. Do you want to, so you do have an event coming up that, like, do you want to plug it? Yeah. Well, always, of yeah. course. Yeah, so plug, plug your say, event that you're, that you're okay, doing. Okay, that's Give a great idea. Tell us yeah. that, and then also just say in general how uh, anyone who's listening can support Orphan Outreach. That'd be great. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for asking. We had an annual luncheon we would do in December mm. that with it we'd have a Guatemalan market so we would go to Guatemala mm. and we would buy all these beautiful things the artisans down there make we would bring them back and we would sell them at the market to benefit the orphans and mm -hmm. children in Guatemala so we had to pivot this keyword. year <laughs> keyword pivot yeah. and turn it to an online market and again that's a place where I've really seen God he just knew that we were going to have to do this. Last September, I went to Guatemala mm -hmm. and I went with a couple of the girls that we go shopping for these products. Mm -hmm. And we decided to do a trip up into the mountains and actually meet with some artisans wow. directly and explore what it would look like if we can employ more directly artisans while they were doing their work. So we built these relationships. When I went in March, again, looking back now at God's timing, on that last trip to Guatemala, we picked up tons of fabric oh, wow. that we thought was going to be made into beautiful pillows, but they all turned into masks that oh, made yeah. of Guatemalan oh, fabric, like what cool. I have on. That's cool. And we pivoted and turned our marketplace to online. Mm -hmm. starting by Memorial Day, just in case maybe we were going to have to be online in December. <laughs> right? Let's just in case, just in case, because yeah. I wanted to cover my bases. Just a plan B. Let's yeah. plan B, go ahead and put the market online. So we learned all things Square Marketplace oh, yeah. and how yeah. to do all of that. Um, this is actually hand-beaded, this, this chain, uh, in a little village in Guatemala, a ministry that's out of one of the churches we work in. Wow. The women were hand-beading. Yeah. Like, that's kind really of cool. Very unusual things. Like they had hand beaded a bunch of frogs with Santa hats. Now, sure. frogs with Santa hats, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I went to TCU, so I bought every frog with a Santa hat that they had. <laughs> this is mine, I want this. For yeah. my friends and everyone else. But in general, people really. It's a niche market. It is. Yeah, it's, it's a very niche, it's very, yeah. very niche market. So we had met with these ladies and said, what if you made these other things that people might like, like yeah. bracelets and purses yeah. and. Um, and then this was another idea we came up with and they were 
totally capable if That's they could awesome. make a frog with a Santa hat. You yeah. can make anything. You pretty much yeah. can make anything. <laughs> right? yeah. for, so, right. for people who are listening, she's pointing out that she has a, a beaded chain that connects to her mask. That acts as a necklace. So if you're kind of like a necklace for readers. Yeah. So if you're if you're not you know watching. What are those like croquis for no. your mask? Like you know, that. Cro- like a, it's you like know, a croquis you know, for your mask. Cro- you know what croquis are? Croquis are, on the back, are, things, are things that keep your glasses on your face. Oh, like frat when boys. Yeah. yeah. When you're on the boat. Yeah. So. Okay. So never you had an event coming up. So. Though. Your event. The yes. Exciting yeah, the event, yeah. thing is we have an event. We pivoted all online on December 10th. December 10th. Okay. Oh, wow. From five to six, we have a online program mm-hmm. and you can go to our website to get more information about it. I'm sure we could probably share information. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What's the website? What's your website? Orphanoutreach.org. Oh, okay. So just the and word orphan Facebook and the word page, outreach. Right? We have a Facebook page. We have Instagram. And at the end of the program, we will kick off the Guatemalan market online. So everybody can go and buy all of these goods that we've been able to employ people in Guatemala this whole time during the pandemic. These people have been able to work in their homes and talk about dignified work. They haven't, you know, in a time when there were no tourists there to buy their goods, we've been employing them. And in fact, to the point that like, Every time the person who's over the market would ask me, well, what about, I found this other kind of bag. Should we buy it? And I'm like, just buy it all. Like (laughs) buy as much as you can, because if we can spread out the wealth. So all of this amazing, amazing product, it will be online on December 10th. So you can join our program um, from five to six and learn about what we're doing specifically to help the orphans in Guatemala Mm -hmm. is that program. And then at six o'clock, the online market will um, be unveiled for everyone to shop. And how long will it be open? online it's now going to be on forever oh so you, oh that's so cool but okay. if you want your gifts in time for christmas order yeah. by december 15th okay. the big question so between is, the 10th and 15th well we have beaded frogs of santa hats online sadly no i bought oh. them all i told you i have them all so or i've given them to my other tc fair, friends fair. i haven't just i don't have a whole collection at home just i like just have one all the same frogs on a show. but the stuff that's on there is gonna be a lot better okay. than frogs with santa hat yeah. so. i mean i have my heart set but i guess i guess i'll look at something else yeah thank you so much for being with us today yeah. thank you for just sharing your experiences i uh i know that i learned a lot about waiting yeah. uh, i'm not a pa- patience is a is a tough one for me man yeah uh but thank you just both for sharing your experiences with, with yeah. us today. Thank you guys. Yeah, thanks. This is always fun. Yeah, uh, it's always fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks, we'll see you next time. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on wherever you listen to your podcast. That really helps us get the word out about Out on a Limb and helps other people find our podcast. From all of us here at Lover's Lane. Thanks for going out on a limb with us. 